Welcome to the BJSM Podcast. My name is Paul Glazy, and today I'm really pleased to welcome Mackenzie Herzog. Mackenzie has a PhD in Sports and Orthopaedic Epidemiology from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She works for a leading data analytics company in the US called IQVIA, who have been commissioned to work with companies such as the NBA and the NFL to look at their injury data, and was lucky enough to recently have access to four years' worth of the NBA injury data to look at ankle injuries in particular. Welcome, Mackenzie. Hi, Paul. Thank you. Why was it particularly important to research ankle injuries in athletes in the NBA? Ankle sprains are um, one of the most common musculoskeletal injuries and are particularly common across all levels of basketball participation and among both sexes. And so this is a really key area that we're interested in focusing on within the NBA to understand why these injuries occur and how we can reduce the occurrence of these injuries. One of the strengths of this study is that you're able to capture such a large volume of data over a prolonged period of time. How did you manage the injury surveillance reporting to ensure that you were getting high quality data in the study? The NBA established this centralized, really robust injury database in order to conduct player health and safety reviews. The database and the injury data collection system was really advanced and enhanced in 2012 with the launch of a league-wide electronic medical record system. And so their electronic medical record system is customized and maintained by the NBA and the individual teams, and it's deployed uniformly across or all 30 NBA teams, to maintain employment records for each player. And so the athletic trainers primarily and the medical staff are responsible for entering data into the electronic medical record as any injury or illnesses occur. We found that there is really high compliance, and that is due in large part to several initiatives that the NBA established and mandated and standardized across the past few years, including structured reporter guidance and uniform reporting definitions. There are recurring reporter training programs and feedback mechanisms to the reporters in in addition to auditing and data control processes. And then finally, of course, continuous improvements on the technical side of the electronic medical record system in order to facilitate really efficient and complete data collection. Because of all these efforts and and really thanks to the dedication and the diligence of the NBA and the team medical staff, they've really been able to establish and maintain a very high quality and robust data source for player health and safety reviews. I think we've found one key area to really ensure that there's high compliance and that we do have this really strong data to be able to communicate results of the health and safety reviews and research back to the teams so that they can really see how this the collection of the data is important and how useful it is. And that has really been critical to ensuring that this is really a very robust data source. Did you use any specific data surveillance forms such as the Oslo Sports and Trauma Research Questionnaire to gather the data that you analysed? For for the NBA, as I mentioned, they have an electronic medical record that is used league-wide. And that electronic medical record that is standardised in, in a way to ensure that we collect a certain standard of data points across all injuries. Um, and so we don't use a case report form in particular specifically like the Oslo questionnaire. Instead, we use the standardized fields within the electronic medical record to capture really similar information. 
you did find that more than 50% of the players that had an ankle injury didn't actually miss any games, and that of those who did, the average was only two games. Could you tell us why ankle injuries were still such a big factor in games missed in the NBA? Most ankle sprains did not miss an NBA game, about 56%. And then of those that did, the median number of games missed was two games. In aggregate, we found that there were almost 1,500 total player games that were missed due to ankle sprains across four seasons of data. The driving factors behind that are, one, the total incidence of ankle sprains across the four seasons was about 800 incident ankle sprains, and that came down to about one in four NBA players experiencing an ankle sprain each season. And so that total number of player games that were missed of about 1,500 player games is really a combination of that incidence as well as the average number of games missed due to ankle sprain. Did you have any insight into what was the differentiating factor between those who did and didn't miss games? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's important to note that our study did include ankle sprains that were diagnosed by medical staff across the full NBA season. And so that included off-season injuries. So calculations of missed games and time to return to gameplay are affected by the timing of the injury within the NBA season, as in some of these ankle sprains especially those that occurred in the off-season or toward the end of the season, might not have missed games simply because they had a reduced opportunity to miss games. But it's important to note that even those that didn't miss an NBA game may have missed other NBA team-related activities like a practice or even an exhibition game. And I think the other important point, the number of games missed and the time to return to NBA gameplay was different based on the type of ankle sprain. And so on average, high ankle sprains missed more NBA games and took a little bit longer to return to NBA gameplay than lateral and medial ankle sprains. But really, more research is needed to understand what factors may reduce the impact of time loss and then also may reduce other negative consequences such as pain and loss of function. Were you able to assess any of the causal factors behind the different types of ankle sprains? So why someone got a high ankle sprain as opposed to a lateral ligament sprain? We were able to look into mechanism in terms of whether there was a contact versus a non-contact mechanism. The majority of ankle sprains were reported to be due to some type of contact mechanism, and this was often something such as landing on an opponent's foot. In terms of digging in a little bit further to understand more specifics around the mechanism, we are hopeful that at some point we could do some type of video review and really understand and collect more data on exactly what happened at the time of injury. But in terms of the electronic medical record data, we're limited to what the athletic trainer and what the player was able to report in terms of injury and how that's collected in a standardized way. And so for that reason, we focused for this first analysis on the contact versus non-contact mechanism. Was there a time of season where players were more at risk? Was it noticeable that when they were getting fatigued, maybe towards the end of a long season, that they started to pick up more injuries? We did look at the number of injuries across the weeks in the NBA season, and we didn't see an increase throughout the season. In the beginning of the preseason, we saw more ankle sprains reported than in other parts of the season. However, 
It's important to note that the NBA roster sizes change throughout the seasons. And so the number of injuries reported in preseason may be attributed to a a larger number of players participating in the league during that part of the year as compared to the regular season. And so this is something that we need to continue to look into. But on our on our first look kind of at a trend over time, we didn't see a significant trend based on the time in the season. Why did you decide to make age 26 the cutoff between being a youth athlete or an experienced athlete? We ended up cutting the age and to look at two strata based on the median. And so that was at age 26, which is, I think, representative of the NBA. It's important to note that this this really doesn't represent youth across a broader population. But in the NBA, this was where we, we cut the median. And we did find that there was a higher incidence of game ankle sprains among younger players who were less than 26 years of age. And so this is something we took away is that there may be some certain players who are look to figure out how to reduce the incidence of ankle sprains, and that may be younger players in particular. Um, but this was really just a first step at that, and this is something that we're continuing to investigate going forward. Would you have any insight at the moment into how you think we might be able to manage those who are younger and try and avoid these injuries from occurring? I think in particular we're we're interested in what kind of injury reduction strategies can we use to reduce ankle sprains both in the NBA and across all levels of sport. And so injury prevention interventions that focus on proprioceptive and balance training have been shown to be reflective effective in reducing ankle sprains across multiple settings, including in basketball. And so this is something that I think we're we're interested in understanding how effective that could be in this particular population and if there are certain players that may benefit most. The other group that were considered to be more at risk of injury were those who'd already sustained an injury. Are you aware of whether there were any prevention measures put in place to monitor those people during the study? Yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to study things like taping or bracing or other strategies that might be used, particularly after an incident ankle sprain to try to reduce re-injury. One of our key findings was that, um, not surprisingly, players with a prior history of an ankle sprain had a 41% higher risk of sustaining another ankle sprain within the next year. And because this was a key finding, we actually dug into this a little bit further in a in a second, more focused analysis. Interestingly, what we found was that that pattern of increasing risk with increasing number of prior sprains was similar for both sustaining another ipsilateral ankle sprain as it was for sustaining another contralateral ankle sprain. And so what we took away from that was that history of ankle sprain might operate at the level of the individual rather than the level of the ankle or the limb. When you say at the level of the individual versus at the level of the ankle, how would you explain that to the audience? What we looked into were a couple of different hypotheses. One is that it could, of course, be that the ligament or that is sustains some type of damage and, and that doesn't completely resolve and leads to a higher risk of subsequent injury. But under that hypothesis, we would have expected that your risk of recurrent injury would be highest in the same ankle. And instead, what we found was that your risk of recurrent injury was similar between both ankles. And so for what 
for our hypothesis for why that may be is that it may be something like a biomechanical impairment or something at the broader athlete level um, that leads to kinetic chain disruptions or sensory motor disruptions and affects both limbs, not just the limb that was originally injured. I think we're interested in looking into that a little bit further to see if then we can tailor our return to play and rehabilitation strategies to look more broadly at the whole athlete in both limbs as opposed to focusing on the injured limb. There's a big difference between what our British audience would be used to with a 38-game season, say, in the Premier League versus an 82-game regular season in the NBA with the potential for 20-plus games in the postseason. Do you have any idea whether the scheduling and the frequency of games and the amount of travel involved in the NBA affected the level of injuries? Yeah, so the NBA is really focused on comprehensively assessing all of those factors that may influence injury risk. And we're looking forward to continuing to investigate things like training load and scheduling to ultimately improve player health. But for this analysis, we did not look at things like travel or rest or training load as they relate to ankle sprains. We did look at a number of different factors that may influence injury risk, including player demographics and average number of minutes played um, and whether there's a difference between those that play more minutes on average or less minutes on average in terms of injury risk. The goal here is really to identify which of those factors had the biggest impact on injury risk. And so for this analysis, what we saw was that the, the influence of prior injury history was really a key finding. And so that was where we we tack what we tackled first, but I think there's a lot more work to do here to understand things like training load. How do you see your role as a data scientist working with the NBA and the NFL developing over the next few years? I think we have a really re- unique role for both the NBA and the NFL. And one area that we focus is on obtaining that high quality and really robust data source that we talked about with the electronic medical records and ensuring that we have really high quality data across the league so that we can perform these types of research activities and analyses. And so for for the NBA and, and for the NFL as well, we're at a really great place now where we have multiple seasons of high quality audited data that we're able to use to generate insights into injury incidents and impact into trends and in injuries and how how we can improve player health. And so I think that's one area where our team in particular at IQVIA and, and epidemiologists are able to really lead and curate and develop that data source. And then going forward, we, p- we play a unique role as epidemiologists in being able to understand data at a population level. And so for both of these sports, what we're looking to do is use the data that we've collected in a systematic way across the league to generate insights that can be applied across the different teams and across the different players and try to leverage that data to really make decisions and drive injury reduction strategies. It's a fun role to play and an interesting role as an epidemiologist focused on understanding causal mechanisms and understanding factors that influence health, hopefully generalized across different settings. What value do you feel that observational studies bring to the sports world in particular? Um, Our work as epidemiologists tends to be focused on how we can leverage observational study designs to generate high quality evidence in settings where 
things like randomized control trials may not be possible and analyze the data correctly. And I think that's what our team at IQVIA really brings to the work that we do is a really deep understanding of real world data and observational data collection to not only focus that effort on how do we collect and and curate the data that are comfortable enough with the data that we can make inferences from it, but then how do we implement the right study designs and how do we take into account any potential biases or potentials for biases so that we're making the right inferences. I think the ultimate goal for us is to work towards actionable injury reduction strategies. And so in the sports setting, I think that can mean a number of different things. There are different quote unquote levers that we can pull in order to enhance player health and safety. And those include team education and player education, of course, are our top priorities and providing insight from the data and from across the league that can really help teams and players make decisions about how best to manage athletes. But then there are things that we can do at the league level as well. We can work towards things like rules changes or safer equipment. We can analyze things like the schedule and how those factors relate to injury. And I think it's an exciting area to be in because there are a number of opportunities to apply the, the insights that we gain from the data to improve those aspects of the sport and ultimately make the sport safer and, and keep players healthy and active. Where do you think the NBA and IQVO in particular are leading in the field of data analytics for injury prevention? Yeah, I think the NBA is really um, a leader in the sense that they have dedicated resources and dedicated time towards establishing their NBA injury and illness database. And they've focused on on collecting high quality and robust data, which is really a critical first step towards sports injury prevention without those efforts that the league and the teams and the medical staff have dedicated toward creating this database and maintaining this database. We really wouldn't be able to do this type of high quality research. Have you had any other challenges throughout the study, such as players coming to or leaving the league? Um, as an epidemiologist, I, I feel so lucky to work with populations like the NBA and the NFL, where we are capturing a complete population of of athletes. So we, we do collect data on all NBA players who are in the league, and that's really a a unique position to be in as an epidemiologist, not to have to sample data, but instead be able to collect data on everyone that is at risk for an injury within this population. And then the way that this this um, that we're able to do this, or that the NBA is able to do this, is like I said, the the electronic medical record is deployed uniformly across all 30 teams. And so what that means is that if a player changes teams. The new team is granted access to that applicable health record, allowing for continuity of management of that injury record, even when the player is moving from team to team. Did you work closely with the NBA teams, with the physicians and the therapists to collect the data? And and what was your experience of working with those teams and any insights that you gained? Yeah, we're really lucky to have a really collaborative relationship with a lot of different stakeholders within the NBA, including the physicians who work with the NBA, the athletic trainers and medical staff, the physios, the sports scientists, 
we do everything in collaboration with various committees, including the Sports Science Committee, the Physicians Research Committee, of course, the athletic training staff who are on the front lines and are the ones collecting all of the data. And we always work with them when we're designing research analyses, when we're working through kind of what we'll analyze, and then, of course, when we're looking through what it means. And so for this work and for all of our work, we we typically take that back to the physicians groups and the athletic training groups and the sports science groups to make sure that what we're what we're seeing in the data really reflects what they're seeing on the ground. And so I think for other settings, what I've found is that that is a really key aspect of making sure that when we're using these types of big data sources that that we we don't forget that they each data point represents a player and that that the physician and the athletic trainer and the sports scientist they're the ones that really know what happened to that player. And so I think developing those relationships is a really key part to successful research. And we've found that those groups are, they're more than willing to collaborate. And it's been a really beneficial collaboration to, I think, on both sides. I think there's a powerful call to action in there around involving epidemiologists in the actual studies that we do to improve the outcomes that we achieve with those that we're working with. Yeah, definitely. We we love to be a part of it and I think we're we're really grateful for their knowledge and and helping us make sense of the data so that we can make sure that what we're seeing is reflective of what they're seeing on the ground and what people are are doing in clinical care because at the end of the day if we generate insights from data that aren't applicable then it it's not very beneficial. So what we're looking for is using the data in a way that will benefit all of us, those those that are on the ground and working with players, the players themselves, that's what we're really trying to get at. How would you explain the importance of keeping quality databases to our clinicians to help them understand the implications of the data that they collect? It's important to be able to collect the really detailed information on what injuries are occurring, how they're treated, um, the clinical information, but I think where where we're going and what I'm excited to see progress in is not only being able to collect the information on those who get injured, but being able to collect information on the participation and the people who are at risk. So how many people are playing sports and, and collecting that really rich denominator information on participation so that we can combine that with the injury information. That's where we really get that that sweet spot of being able to understand how to prevent injuries by knowing both who's participating and then what's happening to them. And so I think for clinicians, where they can focus is on on that really rich injury data and treatment data. And then where I think an epidemiologist can come in and is really helpful is, is getting that population level insight and collecting that denominator information on participation and then combining those th- things to make inferences. Where would you recommend that our audience goes to learn more about how data science and epidemiology can affect the injury prevention strategies that they use within their teams? Well, I'm happy to talk to anybody who's interested. I'm, I'm always excited to, to speak to clinicians who are interested in leveraging the leveraging data and using epidemiology to understand trends. So feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to talk anytime. I think there's been some great work on um, publishing in the literature different standards for using epidemiology, especially in sports research. So there's been consensus statements on how to collect data and how to use data that 
the International Olympic Committee has put out recently. And so those are are, are good sources to understand where we are in our field. But please reach out to us at any time. We're, we're excited about using data and about using epidemiology to generate insights into orthopedics and into sports injury and across a variety of settings. Mackenzie, where can people find you or get in contact if they want to speak to you further? I am on social media. My my Twitter handle is at Mackenzie Herzog. Um, I'm also available by email, and my email address is mackenzie.herzog at iqvia.com. So please reach out anytime. I'm always interested in talking about data and epidemiology and sports injuries. Mackenzie, thank you for taking the time today to come on and explain epidemiology in much more detail to our audience. Hopefully they'll find it interesting. Thank you.